Hey everyone, before we get started, this is just a note to say thank you for listening, either if you're returning or it's your first time, we really appreciate it. And we really appreciate all of the amazing people that we've been able to talk to. Please share the podcast, it's not just for product, it's for anyone interested in hearing stories really. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you like? What could we do better? Message us or send me a message or, or just put a comment in the thread. And yeah, have fun listening. Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Leisner. And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product owners stumbling our way through our product journey. We're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit more about their skills and their experience. Today, we're pretty lucky because we get to talk to Duncan Buchanan. Duncan is a multiple award-winning product manager, spending the last 10 years building new SaaS products from the ground up. His experience running a successful software startup led him to zero, where he's combining his lean startup mindset, a focus on human-centered design, and his product discovery experience to build innovative products for accountants and bookkeepers. Cool. Welcome along, Duncan. It's really nice to have you chatting with Lachlan and I today. How's it going over in, are you in Sydney? I'm in Canberra. Yeah. Oh, Canberra. So I'm, I'm one of the product managers in the Canberra office. I've actually been in the Canberra office as a product manager for about three and a half years and I'm working in the practice side of the product. So helping our accountants and bookkeepers. At the moment, my focus is on staff and permissions. I'm actually just taking a little sojourn, in, sojourn into the practice ecosystem, which is going to be fun. So about to start to join that, that area. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll kick it off. If you can give us a brief journey into your product manager role today. Yeah, sure. No worries at all. I, I guess I always talk about the product management being kind of like the accidental profession and everyone sort of falls into it one way or another. And I think that's one of the cool things about product management. For my journey, I fell into it from user experience design. I was a UX designer and stepped my way into product. I used to work for a small business and we had a bit of bench opportunity where none of us were sort of on any projects. And we said, ah, we're just going to build a product. Why not? To give that a run. And so I stepped into that role as a user experience designer, just working out what we needed to do. And we kind of realized, oh, maybe we need someone to help drive this direction of where this product is going to go and what it's going to do and get out there and talk to customers and things like that. And so I heard about this thing called product management and went, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll give that a go. I did a bit of training. I got a bit of coaching, which was kind of nice as well. And that was 12 years ago. I had no idea what product management was back then, but I have a better clue now, I think. And you haven't been at Zero for 12 years there, right? You've I have not. You've a few other product places since then. Yeah, that was a small business that I was working for. It was in the defense industry, which was kind of interesting. So we're building products for defense and mainly products for our own internal use in working with defense. It's a lot of a lot of compliance. I then took the products that we had built in-house and we spun that out as a startup. And so I was a founder of a startup and did that for a few years. And there I was wearing many hats, still wearing the product management hat, but working with a engineering team in Sri Lanka. I was sales. I had to go out and try and sell the product and I still use experience design. So going out and designing what the layouts will look like and um, wireframes and testing things out with customers. And, and I actually used Zero at that point in time to pay myself. I was the only employee, but um, paid myself there too. And I was doing that for a while. 
until I got a bit of a tap on the shoulder from someone here at Zero and it sounded like a pretty cool, exciting opportunity. And I moved across here in Canberra to start to build a new product in the practice growth space for the accountants and bookkeepers to help them find new clients. Zero is a company that I always looked up to and, and especially from afar, I thought it'd be a really great place to work. That was about three and a half years ago. Yeah. Awesome. I hear a lot that product management and founders have very similar qualities, I suppose. Is that true? Have you found that? I find them very similar. As a founder, you're normally in a smaller sort of team, you know. In a startup, you kind of have to do a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. And I think that those qualities are very similar with product management in general, whether you're a product owner, product manager, GM of product. You're not really a specialist in one sliver. And in fact, that's something that I really look for when recruiting or trying to find a new product manager or product owner is really around what are you going to be able to bring to the table? What's your secret sauce that you can bring along? And I think that's why it's quite true where it is such an accidental profession because you come with it bringing what you have. For example, for me, it was user experience design. It might be subject matter expertise. You might be an accountant. And so you're going to be excellent at understanding the requirements of the customers. You could come from a testing background. You could come from software engineering, you know, even sales. So I think what's cool about that is it's then a matter of trying to say, well, what can I do better than somebody else? I look across at my peers in practice, in the product managers that I work with on a day-to-day basis, they're kind of personified exactly that way. We've got ex-accountants, we've got ex-software engineers, we've got ex-user experience. There's lots of different variants, which is kind of cool. I'm just like replaying the, obviously the journey through a startup life and then coming into the practice space and from what I'm hearing, building a product from scratch. That was something that you had your secret source that helped you with that? That's a really good question. And the funny thing is that I've now come to realize that is my secret source. My whole career has been building products from the ground up. And I didn't realize that at the time. It wasn't until recently where I moved into a new space within practice, even in the staff and permissions area, that I realized that creating new products from the ground up is something that has always been following me around. And it's something that I find really exciting and I guess What's really interesting about it is trying to understand problems and talking to customers is something I'm really passionate about. And and I guess that just through that process, you start to understand more problems or maybe you can test and validate certain ideas. I've always tried to bring kind of like that, that startup vibe, that lean, how do you do a lot with a little and that experimentation vibe, you know, how do we test and validate these ideas really quickly so we can learn that we're building the right product, not the product right. And, and then just trying to make sure that there's a real customer fit. I've got a really interesting background. I talked about one of the products that we built. We had built it from an internal need. We're a 50-person company. We work in defense, and we need this piece of software to do this particular task. It was like a document management compliance tool. So, hey, has, has Lachlan read this, this document? Yes, he read it on the 15th of May, and he signed off that he'd read and understood this information. Um, what we wanted to try and do is say, well, who else would would want this? And so we took it out after we had built this this product. After many years, like we built this big bang and say, hey, is this is this got legs elsewhere? And it didn't really. And I learned pretty quickly that product market fit and and just understanding your customers was so 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 important. Do you think that it takes having to go through that process, actually having an experience, 
to learn those things. I was going to vibe off that many pro tips that you have for people through that journey as well. Yeah, look, I don't think you need to go through it. I think it helps, you know. I guess I was very lucky enough to work with a very successful venture capitalist. He had created these big products, you know, global big products, um, some of which are not very well known anymore, one one of which was Cold Fusion. Um, and um, it's, it's maybe back in the the noughties or whatever but he was very successful he sort of ran big companies and and i was very lucky enough to work with him he had this idea this concept he said i'm going to go out and validate this idea with 30 people and so the first thing he'd do is he'd phone up a client that looks like what he wants to try and land this product with and he said hey i've got this product it's product x and it does it does y um are you interested he goes yeah i'm interested but does it do z as well and he's like oh yeah yeah it totally does that and then the next person, he goes, hey, I've got this product. It does X and Y. Oh, I don't need X. I need, I really need Y, but I don't need X. After each of these introductory phone calls, he kind of had this big laundry list of the things that he should build. He also validated some things that he shouldn't. So it was really, really awesome. I tried to do the same thing. We had another product that was in its infancy. And it was an e-learning product, a, a, a tool to help businesses or people create e-learning content. And they could use it essentially like a content management system. They could write learning materials and then click a button and out would pop interactive, engaging e-learning. Didn't have to worry about visual design or technical skills. I thought, I'm going to do the same thing that, that he did. It's really early. So I'm going to go out and talk to all these customers and say, you know, what does it do? I guess one of the proudest moments that I had is I actually signed up Canberra Institute of Technology, which was tertiary education in Canberra to be our first client, but I hadn't actually built the product yet. And the way that I signed them up is by saying, hey, what do you need? And at what point will you be willing to pay for this product? And so essentially we had this list of, I think at the time it was like five things that I needed to do. I needed to do these five things. And we said, okay, I'm going to get you to sign this document. Yeah, squiggle here that when we do these five things, we can invoice you and you can pay us. It was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this is our little tiny baby startup. And so I was like super, super proud. Anyway, what was really cool about it is, I guess, the flip side where the engineering team had this massive motivation. Like for us to get paid and for us to be successful, we just need to do these five things. It's crystal clear that the team knew exactly what they needed to build. The quicker we could get it done, the quicker we could get paid, the quicker we can kind of keep moving. And what we ended up seeing is something that we thought was going to take us 12 months. It actually ended up only taking us six months. And we got it out there. We got it in our customers' hands. We handed them the, the invoice and got them signed up for a five-year contract, which was, which was crazy good, crazy, crazy good. But I think that's something that's really interesting is, is making sure that what you're trying to build in a product perspective actually solves the customer's problems and all the other bells and whistles, maybe they don't actually matter. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. And, and I think like for me, the, what you're describing, is that a letter of intent or whatever the, I can't remember what the technical term is for that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's kind of interesting that people are very willing to tell you what, what they want. Sometimes they don't necessarily know what they want. I guess that's our responsibility from product management point of view is to make sure that it's not just building the product for one customer as well. Yeah. To, to dive deeper into that, because we're, we're, we're going full down this rabbit hole, you're talking about identifying customers in a market segment. And I guess the, the other thing is, this is obviously great for the initial phase of the startup, but then at some point you transition to the growth phase, right, of, of further refining and sort of trying to grow the product itself. When you're looking at validating that potential market, what does that fit criteria look like? 
Yeah, I, I guess there's there's a bunch of assumptions that we all, all have in terms of who our customer is as a good example. And I can give you an example of the document management compliance software. We looked at the customer who's already using that. And we're like, okay, this is a 50 person company. They're dispersed across Australia. They're in defense sector. So we started there. We said, okay, if we can find other companies that look like us, that they're, they're going to fit and they're going to be perfect. So we sort of went around and talked to them and they're like, mm, yeah, not for us. It's not, it's not a problem we need to solve. Okay, well, what other industries have the same problem? The problem we had was making sure your staff had read the right information and making sure that you could see that they had seen that information. Where's the risk? Where's the problem if someone hasn't read it? And the weird thing was we actually found this niche of a client base, which was so niche, but we ended up having like four customers in this industry. It was in turf management. So for example, uh, turf management is like football fields, dropping mm. pitches for cricket pitches and big contracts for museums. And we ended up having four clients because it really solved their problem, which was our staff are out on site. They're everywhere and anywhere. We need to make sure that we can contact them and we need to make sure that they've read important information around things like chemicals. And um, funnily enough, it was really important to know how high you meant to mow people's lawns, which I thought was kind of really interesting. But mm. what was so interesting is that they were so far apart from the initial customer defense contracting company with millions of dollars. Yeah. I, I like that whole concept of generalizing stuff to abstract it and then through that validating basically do, does this assumption hold true and then narrowing down into your specific niche in a way, right? Yeah. And I think that maybe at zero that we know who our customers are quite well and it, it's probably not as... Uh, important than when, when you're a startup. But what I got out of it was more around making sure that what we build is actually specifically focused on our customer. And that's something I've brought into everything that I do here at Zero as well. That's awesome. We will switch gears then. Uh, what is a product manager? How would you describe <laughs> the role to someone that you meet at a barbecue? So? I, I really like that question, actually. I sort of positioned it as the person that is... I don't know if you've seen, seen the movie Office Space. If you haven't, it's well worth a look. There's this one character in it who talks about how he's the person who talks to the, to the clients and he talks to the developers and, and he's so important because he's like the intermediary between the two. But I feel like that's a bit of what product management is. You're the piece in, in between the customers. So you're interfacing with the customers. You've got the engineering team. You want to make sure that you're an intermediary between there. And then you've got our stakeholders and they could be like internal stakeholders that could be external stakeholders. What I see is the nucleus between those three and making sure the requirements that we're doing meet the, all of them. Now, that's a very long question. That's a very long answer. So what I actually say when I'm in a barbecue is, hey, you know Steve Jobs? He's a product manager. And so people just think I would just wear skivvies all the time and... and Cut a turtleneck. <laughs> He's also a founder as well, crossing over true. those. True. So then, I mean, that's interesting because what would happen if a product manager wasn't there, which leads me on to what key skills do you think are part of that role and therefore especially as a product owner where do you focus if you're going to be doing everything you know what are the key things to to really build up yeah i, I i'm going to answer the first question which is what happens without yeah, uh, mayhem just absolutely first fire every no i'm joking i'm joking to be honest here in zero we're really lucky we've got such empowered teams such brilliant um engineers i feel like what product management does 
quite well is communicates what we're trying to do to all these different people. I feel like you're, you're always a woo guy. You're like, you're kind of like, woo, let's do this. Yeah. You're kind of like a bit of a leader. And I think that's the sweetest of sweet spots. I hate telling people what to do, but to motivate someone is fun. It's great. You get people on, on the bus. You've got a seat on the bus. Do you want to come along? Let's go, let's go do this. I like that. I'm not sure if you've read Turn the Ship Around. Um, yeah, I have. style of leadership around empowering people to solve problems and motivating them towards the end goal as opposed to telling them how to do it. Yeah, thing. absolutely. And I think there's, there's something in that too where building a team, I think, is something that, I again, is something I'm really passionate about. And when I first joined Zero, we, we started a new team from the ground up and we started on a new problem space from the ground up. So we, we were really lucky. Instead of saying, hey, you're going to build this product, we had, hey, you need to solve this problem. And that was really cool because we all came along that journey together. We were all already on, all on the bus uh, from the very beginning and we're already motivated to build a great product for our customers. Not necessarily specific to, to product management, but to building a team, making sure that you bring people along the journey at the same time is, is so important, I think. Have there been any big lessons that you've learned throughout that process? I think the biggest lesson for me is don't assume you're the customer. I guess we always feel, I think this would be a good idea or I would love to use this thing. And I think it's a really problematic thing to do. If you always position yourself as the customer, you're very is it myopic, biopic, myopic? Like you only hit, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, blink or something? Yeah. Blink it, yeah. Well, blink yeah. it yeah, is a great way. Much better than trying to me use fancy words. Yeah, you're, you're very blinkered in terms of what you're trying to do. If you only focus on yourself as a customer, you, you're in real danger of, of doing the wrong thing. On the flip side, if you let data or information that you've found guide your judgment, one, you know, you're probably a better chance of success because you've heard it from 15 people. But the other thing that's really valuable is that it's no longer your opinion. It's not Duncan making this idea up. It's the data saying this is the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, I found starting zero, I was really surprised at, I guess, the lack of data that we've got. And it's probably one of the things I'm struggling with at the moment is talking to customers, finding out what those problems are and, and getting the, the data to kind of back that up. I don't know whether you've experienced the same thing here or if it's something that is across all the companies you've worked in. Yeah, look, I think the thing is we do have a lot of data. We don't have it in a very easy to gain format. And I think that's mainly because of the size of zero. If you think about it, a startup, you've got, well, for me, it was one person. So transferring that data around is really simple. I talked to this customer, it's in my head and it's there already. I guess what I found over my time is that we're often redoing, trying to collect that same data in different ways. There's a lot of inefficiency in getting that information. I totally agree with you. How might we make that information easier for us to, to gather is, is a really interesting question. How could we disperse that information better or make people aware of it? Totally. To be able to communicate out what you know and get everybody communicating out what they know. Yeah, Share well, the knowledge. Even, I guess, we're now largely working remotely and just the difference that has in terms of communication being moved around you know in the office you'd stumble across someone doing that research or you'd overhear something happening and and now we're working from home so that makes it harder you know even then we've got different offices all around the world and, and we've got different teams and different portfolios and there's a customer problem we need to solve <laughs> there you go. I, I feel like the field of product ops is sort of what that 
aligns with that that how do you actually operate successfully as a product person yeah i think i think you bang on yeah yeah before we move on to perhaps the the final of these big questions are there any other product frameworks or techniques especially someone who is newer to getting into product that you think is worthwhile for them to look at yeah, look, I know I've come in with a bit of a slant around sort of startups, but there is some really interesting frameworks from a startup that I've always brought into into zero. The reason I, I think that they're valuable is because the, regardless of whether you're a startup or whether you're a massive business, um, it doesn't actually matter. You're still trying to test and validate problems and build new products and, to, and you know build them for customers. The same thing that you need to do. One to look into is is something called impact mapping which is kind of like an opportunity tree. It's just a different guise of it. But what essentially it is, is starting with the core goal of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. And then from there, looking at all the actors who might be able to play a part in making that happen. And those actors could be your customers, they could be third parties. And then from there, you think about of those actors, what job can they do to help you get to reach your goal? We built a matchmaking tool at Zero to match small businesses with accountants and bookkeepers. And so our goal was how do we get 10,000 leads for our accountants and bookkeepers? Who are the actors who could do it? Well, they could be the accountants and the bookkeepers. They could be small businesses. They could be lawyers. They could be app ecosystem partners. They could be our account managers. And then we went, okay, of all these people, what jobs could they do to move the needle? A lawyer could refer their clients to an accountant. An account manager could organize a networking event um, to connect to small businesses, all these little things that we could do. And then the last part is what things could we do to shift that needle? So the last part is really how do we make that networking event even better? How do we make that referral system like spot on? So I thought it was a really interesting framework to use to get that ideation happening, mm. which was really fun. The other thing that links really closely with that, I guess, is OKRs just lends itself really nicely in, into that framework as well. That's, so, that's cool. I've read about impact mapping, but I haven't had an opportunity to use it yet. But actually, as you say, OKRs or something smaller, testing out an impact and playing it through on a small scale would be a really cool way to, to use it. Yeah, we actually, within our team, had, had this three-pronged set of little tools that we used. So we started with OKRs. They gave us the objective and that and that key result that we're trying to achieve. And that key result, we put it into an impact map. That's the starting point here, boom. And then thought of these all these options and all, all these ideas. And at the other end, we had all these concepts. And so we went, okay, well now we need to test and validate some of these concepts. So I used another framework called Product Cutter, which is an experiment framework. So for example, start with maybe a hypothesis that you you believe so that hypothesis sort of came from that impact map like we believe that by creating a networking event it will increase the number of leads for an account and bookkeeper and we started out with our knowns what do we know well we know that accounts i'm choosing a bad example but anyway we know that account managers host events we don't know how many people go to them for example so what, what we'd essentially do is have a little line to say, okay, this is, this is our first experiment. And that small experiment might be sending out an invitation and seeing how many people register. There might actually not be a, an event in the background, but we said, okay, well, our, our assumption is that of the 100 invites, 50 of them would be accepted and that would be a success. 
and they go, okay, well, we sent it out and only 25 people. So we'd go, okay, this, this is not even something that we want to continue. So essentially what we'd try and do is have a small experiment that would give us more information to build into the next experiment and build into the next experiment. So we're not trying to test one big concept. We're actually trying to, to have small little iterative learnings that can help us gain confidence that this is either the right thing to do or more importantly, that it's the wrong thing to do. And um, in fact, it can actually be far better to have a failed experiment because then you go, sweet, it's definitely not um, a path that we're going to go down. A good example of that, we thought a really good way to get new clients for accountants and bookkeepers was to actually let them build businesses from the ground up. So, hey, how can you get more clients? Well, you can create the clients from scratch. So the idea was for Zero to create a business building product. So our test was, we know that businesses are getting built every day, but we don't know how much someone might charge for that services. So we'd go out and talk to accountants and say, hey, how much would this service cost you? We did all these lots of little things. In the end, we found out that it's not something that accountants do on their own. It's, it was really conclusive that it was not the right thing for us to do. And, and that was great. That's awesome. I feel like there's so many things you could do. So if you can just you can cut that down, it's perfect. Yeah. I'm going to move on to some quick fire questions. There's always too much to talk about. So have you got a book or an article that you're currently reading and would recommend? Yeah, look, I've been reading Continuous Discovery Habits. Um, I love it. Um, and I guess this is something that you, you probably hear a lot of that some of the framework that I've been like talking about are all about new ideas and, and making sure you can build discovery. So Continuous Discovery Habits by Teresa Torres is an exceptional read. She's amazing. She's just, she's sort of my idol. And and I guess what is so valuable about it is that these are things that you can build into what you're doing regardless of the stage of your product. Yeah, it's good. Outside of our podcast, obviously, do you listen to any others? Surely this is the only one. I, I do. I really love Masters of Scale. It's more of a, a startup sort of focus, but I think it's still valuable in terms of everything we do in terms of product. And this is product management is another uh, good. It's it's They have really good interviews with big businesses and it's very American in terms of the, the, the organizations, but that's good in product. You know, it's, it, it was, it's a really good one as well. Awesome. I'm going to add those to my list. Yeah, I particularly like some of those ones actually around startup. It's just a different lens and yeah. you, you can learn quite a lot from them. Um, what are you most grateful for? Oh, in product, you mean, or in life? Oh, choose anything, really. Well, if, if my family's listening, oh, my family is what I'm most grateful for, surely. Um, I, I think from my career-wise, the thing I'm most grateful for is, I guess, the varied opportunities. And I think that's something that product management can give you. I mean, Sounds weird, but when I worked for the defense company, I got to go into a, a, an aircraft, a C-30. It's like a big transporter plane and a C-17, which is any bigger transport plane. I got to punch data in there, which was kind of cool. Jet sitters, helicopters. Each time I've been doing the same job, but had very different you know, chances to do different things, which is kind of fun. I'm going to sneak this one in there. What would be your greatest accomplishment uh, so far? Uh, whether it's my greatest accomplishment or the team's greatest accomplishment, I'm, I'm going to say it's the team's, but we actually launched a product that in the back end, we were actually still manually <laughs> cranking the handles in the background, literally pressing buttons to make things actually work. And 
The reason it's my greatest accomplishment is because it, it, this was self-inflicted. It was not marketing saying, hey, you need to sell this. It was not that at all. It was actually for us to learn the usage and, and making sure that we actually built in the right product. And so we had the confidence and the uh, backing of ourselves to launch something that actually wasn't even built yet, which I think is my greatest accomplishment. That is gold. I had no idea. I've heard a lot about this this product. So no, not many <laughs> people knew either. <laughs> maybe maybe not many of the EGMs knew that either. <laughs> Amazing. Take away for products, con. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, and we'll we'll wrap up. Have you got any other things you'd like to share? Any calls to action or takeaways? That's a good one. I think probably calls to action. Back yourself. Bring your superpower. If, so if you're interested in getting into product management, if you're interested in becoming a product owner or a product manager, I just think talk up the, your strengths. Everyone's got different strengths. Everyone's got things that they can bring to the table. Focus on those. Don't focus on the things you don't do or you, you're not amazing at. That's the great thing about this position is you're a jack of all trades, master of none. So talk up the things that you're a, a superstar at and back yourself. Love it. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Duncan. That was a very enjoyable conversation. And um, yeah, I think oh, sorry. definitely some things to take away from that. I'm just proud I could go into the number one product podcast that there is. So I'm just really, really glad to be here. Thank you.